All right, I'm Andrew Work back on Money Talk, and we have got a jam-packed studio uh, down in Admiralty, uh, you know, with the people and the big brains in there, uh, starting with Alex Wong, director of Alex K.Y. Wong Asset Management. Good morning, Alex. Good morning, Andrew. Good morning. We've also got Martin Henneke, head of Asia Investment Advisory, St. James Place Wealth Management. Good morning, Martin. Good morning, Andrew. A pleasure to be back. It's, it's great to be back. Guys, uh, a lot happening uh, in the markets, a lot of companies uh, putting reports out there. But another one of the big debates uh, that I really see on the rise is, is about the U.S. Uh, the U.S. Uh, debt limits. And right now there's, there's big political battles going on as to whether or not, you know, as, as happens, it seems every year, uh, whether or not Congress is going to allow the U.S. debt limit to be to be moved or suspended or waived. Um, but I mean, there's longer term implications for interest rates in the U.S. economy. Martin, I, you know, what, what's your take on this? Well, I would rather actually look a little bit beyond this immediate stalemate there. You know, I think, you know, this is one of the examples that, that could just be a bit of a distraction that makes people not see the forest for the trees. And it's the same thing with the interest rate debate of the Fed versus recession. Uh, because there's one other thing that I think is really pretty much missed. Um, which is what eventually the discussion will probably come back to, which is the debt and the budget uh, deficit generally. You know, when you have to see these prior stalemates on the debt limits, eventually they have always come to an agreement, haven't they? And always things go on and on and on. But now if you, when you're looking at the last six months, the U.S. budget deficit increased to 1.1 trillion just over six months. That's up 63%. And the most scary part of this to me is that 384 billion of that was payments on interest. And that's up 32%. And it's, it's just bound to increase substantially further as the government issues new debt and rolls over existing debt at much higher interest rates. And, you know, a lot of analysts, you know, uh, Alan Greenspan, Warren Buffett, even some analysts from the Fed, Leonardo Melosi, they have all been warning how higher budget deficits might translate into higher inflation down the road. So the sole interest rate, rate cycle might eventually backfire and you might see the Fed trapped there, not being able to do much further. And that could make inflation potentially rebound from the recent slowdown we have seen and make it even more dangerous. I mean, it's interesting to hear you say this because, I mean, that, that was very much the conversation uh, I found in the late 1990s when people were much more aware of the connection between government debt and deficits and, uh, you know, the impact, of the you know, how, how governments can get caught in, in higher interest rates. Um, but it seems like that hasn't been part of the conversation, uh, you know, over the last couple of years. Uh, why do you think that is? Why, why are people not, why do people not have that on their radar anymore? Yeah, that's a really great question. And I think... Um, to be quite honest, um, the reason is because um, it's it's quite a substantial risk and central bankers may not really, well, some may not be fully aware themselves perhaps, but um, others who might be aware, they don't maybe necessarily want investors to wake up to it. Why? Um, in, you know, the 80s where inflation also uh, went quite high, uh, central banks could hike to stop it because debt was relatively low. But now we are at, at such a level that this is really a big danger. So I think what really central banks and politicians, you know, in the US, in Europe, maybe Japan as well, 
um, are hoping to do is to have continued substantial negative real interest rates and sort of a wriggle out of the debt trap in that way. But it comes at the cost of, you know, savers who are losing uh, purchasing power. And if, you know, central bankers came out tomorrow and say, oh, look, actually, we didn't tell you about this. Debt is, is so high that we couldn't hike much further, even if inflation wasn't come down. You know, the next thing you would see is that people might be thinking twice about the safety of holding holding currency and, and might move into inflation and things which could sort of accelerate that risk. Uh, and I, I suspect that's why they may not be talking about that so much. But from an investor's perspective, when you think of the medium to long term, I would just suggest that it's important to consider this and if one can tolerate a degree of volatility to ensure one holds a reasonable exposure to inflation-protected assets. Uh, Alex, do you, are you up at night worrying about uh, debt and deficits in the U.S. government or other governments around the world? In the meantime, uh, no, uh, because uh, the problem actually uh, will be solved every time. So I think uh, people, uh, in general consensus, right, uh, the, the the market actually expects uh, some solutions would come out before uh, we reach the uh, uh, real problem. So that's why I think uh, the market is uh, quite complacent on this. But I agree that uh, because we have a um, much more bigger extent of the problem uh, than 10 years ago. And um, and also um, um, we have the banking crisis in the in the in the U.S. But that probably may have complicated the problem as well because um, our government probably may have to guarantee some more for financial institutions uh, in this situation. So I think uh, market is quite complacent. But in the meantime, I think uh, my stand is uh, we wait for something. Um, really bad to come out uh, before acting because uh, the market actually is, uh, has, has been very complacent and maybe as just complacent uh, uh, in the future. Yeah, I mean, uh, no kidding, the market's been complacent. I mean, in part because uh, it seems like earnings are coming in much better than expected across the board. The S&P 500, we talked about in the show yesterday, you have, was it something like 76% of companies are, are beating estimates. Uh, you know, that doesn't sound like an economy about to tip into recession, which everyone also thinks is coming. Is it, is it, is it because the earnings are pat backwards looking and forward guidance maybe isn't quite as rosy? What's, what's your take on that? Are you, you know, are you, do you have- mm-hmm. First of all, I think, uh, as you said, uh, earnings are back, are backward looking. And, uh, another thing is, uh, uh, we are talking about the earnings of, uh, big companies. Uh, probably, uh, in a recession or a bad economic, economic situation, those are, uh, companies actually would gain market share and doing better. And also, I think uh, uh, the reopening of China actually helped a little bit because if you look at the um, uh, the, the results from those luxury uh, retailers, actually they were very strong because of this. And then you have mentioned uh, 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 Europe actually has benefited uh, a lot from this as, uh, uh, recently. So I think uh, uh, that's why we are seeing uh, strong earnings uh, in the meantime. But uh, with the um, uh, tightening because of the banking crisis uh, coming, uh, uh, I think uh, the recession risk actually is still quite high. Yeah, and I mean, I mean, yeah, Martin, you gave us a little bit of that backwards versus forward. It seems like you've got your eye more on the medium to long term. Uh, are there are there any immediate threats that you're worried about? Kind of like short term uh, crises that could that could throw everything into a tailspin. Well, just uh, you know, to comment as well on your earlier question there on the you know EPS beatings etc. In the short mm-hmm. term, um, yes, you know, we have seen. Uh, companies beating those uh, f- forecasts. You have 68% uh, 
beat of EPS, 75% beat of uh, uh, revenues. But it's overall, it's a bit more mixed than th- just those figures because that's relative to expectations. And if you're looking at absolute terms, you know, it's not quite as um, pretty as that. And a large part was also driven by some distortions, I would say, in the banking sector with the larger banks benefiting from this deposit flight out of the uh, smaller ones. But there are some good earnings from some companies. Uh, Valuation-wise, I also think when you look at the globe, there are some good earnings uh, in, in many places. For example, China, a market that people have been hating because it hasn't performed for you know, three to five years now, certainly relative to the U.S. But there are many, many factors, valuations and opening up. Um, you know, other, uh, other items, GDP growth being uh, fairly stable and the government now clearly focused on growth where this um, regulatory tightening, they've got enough of that, I believe. Uh, and so um, there are good opportunities there. And in the longer run, one thing important here to bear in mind is that equities tend to be relatively more inflation proof than say cash and, and bonds so you know in addition to property or other assets you you think of as inflation proof like commodities equities also typically where companies do have an edge in the market can pass through these rising input costs in the form of higher prices to consumers and in fact we have just on friday just briefly we had the smp global flash use composite PMI out and it mentioned there, I'm just going to quote this here briefly, it mentioned uh, firstly April data indicated a pickup in rates of input costs and output charge inflation. Um, Firms stated that more accommodative demand conditions allowed them to continue passing through higher interest rates, staff wages, utility bills and material costs to clients and that's what typically happens medium to long term which is why you would say well be careful, ideally don't leverage, try to play it safe, don't speculate short term but medium to long term you know, equities as an asset class can help form part of an inflation protection strategy. Yeah, but I mean, if you're saying that uh, inputs are more expensive, manufacturers saying no problem, we can pass it on to the consumers. That doesn't sound like inflation slowing down. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Uh, absolutely. To my point, that's that's the secondary point. I was, you know, that that comes out of that PMI, and that worries me. You know, core inflation has been uh, pretty sticky. And again, you know, when you look at some of those warnings, um, I mentioned briefly Alan Greenspan earlier. Let me just give you this quote because he brought it up. You know, since since he retired, obviously he's more free to talk really his mind. He said before we even saw this initial inflation uptick on 20th of February 2020, he said unless we bring those extraordinary budget deficits under control. History tells us there's going to be a much more rapid rate on price of price increases than we have seen. At that point, deficits were running at $1 trillion before COVID. Now, just the last six months, $1.1 trillion. So you see you know, that if, if, if from nowhere else, those pressures certainly are going to be persistent from the deficit side. Uh, Alex, is that something that's keeping you up at night? Do you, do you think people are being a little too sanguine about uh, inflation? Do you, people are just like, oh, we've got this beat, no problem. But, uh, you know, do you take that view or where, where are you on inflation? I think uh, uh, inflation probably would be contained, but uh, it would be um, uh, the, the price effect would be uh, kept at the current level for for a longer period of time, and and it is not easy to slow down significantly. Uh, so, it, so you you think inflation's plateaued? It's not going to come down, but it's going to stay at this this kind of right, elevated yes. level. Um, yes, I'm, because uh, if you look at the commodity markets, actually they are plateaued already. 
So uh, we are not seeing uh, renewed strength in the oil market despite uh, the uh, the, out, uh, the cut in output news. So I think uh, this web, uh, uh, is uh, quite representative of the market situation. Yeah, but I mean, getting a little more granular on that, if you look at inflation, I mean, uh, top line inflation, say, in the United States is running, what, 5% right now, but Britain, 10%. I mean, that's a, that's a huge difference. So, I mean, if we if Britain stays at 10% inflation, let's, let's say they hold at that level, that's a huge difference from, you know, countries kind of suffering under 5%. But I mean, if you're, you're at 10% for a couple of years, that's, that's pretty disastrous. Like, do you, do you worry about some places more than others? Uh, yeah, of course, uh, because uh, uh, it creates a spiral because uh, uh, workers factory would demand higher wages uh, in, in, in countries like UK. So that probably may kept the problems st- uh, still bad uh, for quite some time. So sure. that is uh, something which uh, is uh, worrying because uh, you, you have a high inflation and the workers actually would demand higher wages and then they kept the price level high. So that is the problem. But, uh, but after some time, the high base effect actually will come out. I mean, we've had, we've had strikes on trains. The Berlin airport was shut down as part of rotating strikes uh, at airports in Germany. Uh, are you, you know, but then we've also got really high inflation in food. Are you, I mean, you've, you've got labor unrest. Uh, in developing economies, you might actually have food-related unrest. I mean, are you pricing more political risk in connected uh, to these issues? In in certain part of countries, uh, some part of the world, probably that would be the case. But I think uh, it it depends a lot on 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 the individual situations of different countries. I mean. yeah. yeah, Martin, are you looking at a lump, lumpy lumpy inflation as opposed to just the global picture to to kind of make some picks? Well, I you know, think eventually probably we are going to see more convergence about inflation globally because commodities obviously are one of the factors driving it and they are traded globally. So I'm sort of worried about inflation, you know, across the board in in any currency globally. And, and, you know, so rather than sheltering in any one currency saying, oh, this one will be stable, you know, nobody wants to lose major export markets. So even if you say, you know, theoretically China, you know, it's more, it's more stable for this or this reason with strong GDP, strong banking system, et cetera, et cetera. But they don't want to lose the export markets either. So if a lot of other major economies inflate, the pressure will come up there. Maybe a brief practical tip there, aside from, you know, physical assets and those that I've mentioned. I mean, nobody knows for sure. I'm just saying that, you know, I see that there's a, sort of a tail risk in, at the minimum of inflation resurging. Um, you know, one way to sort of hedge this is also to consider inflation link bonds noting that the break-even rates are actually really really low right now if you're looking at tips versus normal uh, 10-year treasury bonds it's around 2.2 percent break yeah. uh, even rate and that's that's you know more than half of inflation is now so, so right relatively yeah. speaking i think the risk return profile just to hedge that inflation risk even if you don't know for sure isn't isn't all that costly right now all right well martin i you know you're giving us a little bit of a grim look i don't know if it's too early to call you the raven of hong kong yet but we're gonna have to have you back on the show <laughs> and see if you develop in that direction martin Henneke, head of asia investment advisory st james place wealth management thank you also to regular alex wong Director of Alex K.Y. Wong Asset Management, favorite on Money Talk. 